0: so much. Take your Bibles if you would and find James chapter 2. And uh, I don't know about you, but man, I am really being challenged and encouraged in studying right through the book of James. Not really giving myself a whole lot of choice on what is next in the preaching. Now, I think I'd shared with some of you before that I've preached portions of the book of James. In fact, uh, I've preached some of chapter one as far as like sermons on trials and things like that before and and preached sermons on some of the other portions. But today, we come to a passage of scripture that as far as my recollection is, I've never preached before. In fact, uh, all this sermon series, in case you're curious, is all all being worked on fresh, and I'm enjoying the challenge and the opportunity to study God's word right along with you. And today we come to James chapter 2 and come to a scripture passage that has meant a lot to me personally, but I have never ever preached it pastorally. And uh, and the whole gist of this chapter is how at times we can be prone to show favoritism or to play favorites or to have prejudices or or the like. And I don't exactly know why it kind of became one of those core values that I carried with me. But for instance, if I were to have in the room today some of the men and young men that I've had an opportunity to work closely with and... They might dare say that I had some role in helping mentor or or at least do some teaching in their life. Um, uh, A lot of them would say this is a core value of mine, that we need to be careful when it comes to playing favorites, that we need to treat folks like they're all on level ground. And I do really kind of believe in that old adage that when you come to the cross of Christ, it is level ground, amen, that we all come there. And so today, as we look at this passage, I think it is an incredible, credible moment, an incredible moment in time for this church family. In fact, uh, I don't wanna make more of it than I should, but even today already... Coming in here for this worship service uh, and of course because of the role that I'm in, I, I, unfortunately I'm not able to spend a lot of time during the week spending time with the staff or even talking with leaders. I was in Alabama almost the entire week on uh, for work and down there for meetings and so just kind of getting back in. Coming in today, um, I tell you what, it really has encouraged my soul just to see the picture of unity up here, to see the picture of flexibility, folks learning new songs and singing a new song and and, and then us singing such music with depth, and for us to pray, and even when Brother Marty, it was his time to to come and pray, and I don't and I don't even pick who uh, prays for the offering. You all are so organized and all that, and Brother Marty and I, our hearts have just. I don't want to embarrass him in saying this, forgive me, brother, if I do, but our hearts have just been knit together. We've so enjoyed, partly because of his role as personnel chairman, probably, spending time and talking with each other and praying together and encouraging each other in the Lord. But even as I was reading the story about Nick, the Ethiopian story is what came to my mind. And, uh, and for the sake of time, I was, I was just like, well, I, I won't go and start preaching a sermon off that missionary moment. And then he prayed that. And so I tell you what, folks, I'm just encouraged in the Lord. So today I want to talk to you about a sermon, and through this sermon, I'm calling it this. All I really needed to know I learned in kindergarten. All I really needed to know I learned in kindergarten. It really kind of comes, the title of the sermon comes from a book that was written years ago. And it's the whole idea of all the lessons we're taught in kindergarten and how really those lessons really do help us through life. And so it's kind of my opening illustration. Let me share with you some of the things that, that we were taught in kindergarten. And kind of remember back there, and this, was, this is kind of fresh for me. I have, a, I have a, a, a young one who is, but in second grade, and I have to really make sure I say second grade because I still want to say first grade. Um, she's growing up so fast. She's our youngest. And this past week, it was time for her to take in her valentines. And there are certain rules in elementary school when it comes to passing out valentines. Now, once you get out of elementary school, they don't really apply anymore. I have a son in middle school, then I have a daughter in high school. And of course there, these rules don't apply. But in elementary school, and, and my little one, Jenna, she was taught, she's been reminded that, she, that they wanna make sure they don't come off like they're playing favorites, and so everybody gets the same thing. And now there's this little boy in her class that appears to kind of be sweet on her. And I'm keeping my eye on him, both eyes, all right? Keeping both eyes on him. And I've even got, got my son, keeping. Up. We'll watch on, we're watching over this kid, all right, and uh, he seems to be all right. But he's kind of seems to, got to have a sweet spot or has since kindergarten. And now in second grade, they're in the same class again. And so it was just the other night, we were sitting there having dinner And I think one of the older kids, probably trying to start something, asks Jenna, our youngest, you know, well, what did you get Hayden? That's the little boy's name. What did you get him for Valentine's Day? And without missing a beat and with kind of this look on her face like, what are you talking about? She goes, I gave him a bouncy ball. She gave him a little bouncy ball. Because you see, a little bouncy ball is what she gave everybody else in her class too. She didn't play favorites with Hayden. Oh, she may, she may have some play dates. She may go over to his house and play. He's been over to our house and their are buddies on the playground. But to her, she has that wonderfully innocent outlook. That everybody in her class, whether they play with her or not, whether they like what she likes or not, bottom line is this, if he gets a bouncy ball, everybody else gets a bouncy ball, all right? And really, it is a, it's really the message of James chapter 2. So some lessons that, we were, that we we're taught in kindergarten, remember some of these, share everything, you were taught that, play fair, don't hit people. You had to be taught that. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Man, I hope my kids are doing that because those schools look so dirty on the inside to me. But anyhow, it's a whole nother story. Go to school cafeteria. Man, it just looks like they better be washing their hands. Uh, Flush, I'll just leave that one alone. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. Amen? Amen. Some of y'all going to be doing that later today. And then listen to this last one. When you go out in the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. Loved ones, the church of Jesus Christ ought to be known for being a people that when we go out in the world, we watch out for traffic. That we hold hands and we stick together. You see, really in James chapter 2, what we are reminded of is how we ought to treat one another and why we ought to treat one another the right way. You see, some of the biggest problems you and I will face, some of the biggest challenges we will face are people problems, aren't they? It's getting along with other people came across this little quotation listen to this to dwell above with those you love that will be a glory but to dwell below with those we know that's another story and that the truth let me read that again because some of y'all just kind of waking up all right listen to this again to because you're wondering why, why the person on the same pew just chuckled and that woke you up listen to this to dwell above with those you love that will be a glory but to dwell below with those we know that's another story All right, isn't that good? Isn't that the truth? But listen, God shows no partiality. He shows no favoritism. You see, it's our human nature at times because of a person's education or the way they look or their preferences for us to pick and choose and play favorites, but that's not how God is. Our wonderful God is not that way at all. In fact, 2 Chronicles 19, 7 says, there is no iniquity with the Lord our God. No respect of persons. You see, the Lord God does not just take us at face value. And so James chapter two speaks this. I wanna ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word if you would. You're gonna need to stand for this one today and hear hear the scripture. Listen to God's word. James chapter two, verse one and following. You read along in the scriptures and I'll read aloud, all right? Listen to God's word now. My brothers, my brothers, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Right there. Right there's, right there's the punch. Right there's the principle. Show no partiality. Don't play favorites as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Listen, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, If you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors then, for whoever keeps, listen, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. By the way, he's saying there, listen, you break one law, you're basically guilty of breaking them, all of them. And some of you, of course, you've not murdered anybody. You've not committed adultery, but you're not loving one another. Verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who's shown no mercy. But then listen to this mercy triumphs over judgment. Loved ones, listen. Before I say another word, I want you to hear this. We've been shown the mercy of Jesus Christ. And the point here in this sermon today is this He's shown us such mercy. Ought not we to be merciful towards one another? Father, speak to us, I pray. Deal with us. Deal with us as a righteous father deals with his children. Lord, you promise you'll do that. We need you to do that. And God, I pray that we will receive it. We'll receive it as good sons and daughters today. Lord, I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, Lord. You are my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Be seated. Be seated. Show no partiality. My brother, show no partiality. Let that sink in. Let God's word wash over you this morning. Literally, literally, it's the idea here of receiving someone only at face value. In the New English Bible, it's translated as don't be a snob, Don't show snobbery towards one another. Don't turn your nose up and your eyes down upon others. You know, a lot of different ways we can play favorites and show partiality and be prejudiced towards others. Sometimes we discriminate on the basis of appearance. He mentions that, someone wearing fine clothes, someone coming in looking a little bit more shabbily. Now, I'm not talking about, this isn't talking about the fact that, you know, just, you know, we all just walk around, you know, looking scruffy and bummy all the time. That's not the point here. You see, evidently what was happening in this church is these points were, I mean, these people were giving points to people just because of the way they did look. Be careful just judging folks on the basis of appearance. I think about how the studies have been shown of how our human nature tends to judge people on appearance. In fact, studies have been done on little babies. On little babies, and they'll put up pictures of people that have been deemed to be attractive or to appear pretty or beautiful comparing them to the pictures of those that we have been deemed to be less attractive and babies even when they're newly born psychologists say that babies will tend to favor those who quote have the more beautiful appearance folks this seems to be deeply ingrained in us we can discriminate based on appearance we can also discriminate on the basis of ancestry, on our racial background, on our ethnicity. And this is something that particularly our country has, has a past on that we've had to repent over, that we've had to deal with and praise the Lord that, that in this church, she has continued to make strides to make sure that re- re- regardless of your ancestry, that you're welcome into this place. And I rejoice to see that, but it's something we have to be guarded against. It's something that we have to be careful about. You see, every single people group, people of all the nations desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I cannot hoard the mercies of Jesus to ourselves and not share them with someone who happens to have been raised in a Muslim country. In fact, one of the things I was stunned about the past couple of years and the role that I serve uh, with Southern Baptists is for us to have seen how, how uh, we've had open doors with people of an Islamic background. I was not expecting that. We need to be praying that people will come to Christ. We need to uh, extend the hospitality to people regardless of their ancestry. You know, all of us have an ancestry, don't we? My son and I, we've been, we've been working on his school project. I've been helping him with his school project on his family tree. And so we've been researching back the generations and he's been working on this project and it's been interesting to see how the different countries are represented in our family. I think about how you can, you can trace back the all trees who appear to have come here from France. In fact, there are some towns, some villages in France that have the name Autry and and how back in the 1700s, this one man he came over and he settled in eastern North Carolina. And you know the rest of rest of that's in kind of history. You know, they just they just began to multiply and all that. And my wife, I look at her background, she has she has relatives uh, that are from Australia, relatives from Austria and Poland and different places. And it's amazing to see our ancestry. So loved ones, all of us have an ancestry and we ought not to play favorites based upon that because understand this, we all eventually trace back to Adam and we all desperately, just as Adam needed the grace of God, all of us desperately need the grace shown us through Christ. Some will discriminate based upon age. You're either too young or you're too old. Achievement. Our society will gush over the winners and wants to forget the losers. One minute you're a hero and the next minute you can be a a zero. Success and status are buzzwords. And then affluence. That is something that James specifically deals with here affluence. It's a very common distinction. We judge people by their wealth, whether they're rich or they're poor, or their economic status. Sometimes we'll have attitudes towards people who make less money than us but listen we can also be prejudiced towards those who maybe make more money than us the warning here is very simple for us to not play favorites for us to understand that we need to hold hands and stick together. For us to understand that when it comes to dealing with people, we ought not to have a first class and a coach section. You know, I, have, I don't know if many of you have ever flown on airplanes. and I flew this past week. And, and every time I get on an airplane, it just kind of cracks me up. Because it seems like it's one of those places still here in our country where it is like flaunt it in your face, you know, the difference of, of, of who are the favorites and who aren't. And I think about how that one time, one time, one time in my life, I've flown first class just one way. And coming back, I had to fly coach. And it worked out on this trip uh, over to, for business in Europe that um, the guy I was with worked it out for us to get to fly uh, to England first class. And I never done that. So I was so excited. In fact, I've got pictures. I was taking pictures of me laid out in the seat because you could lay down. And their chairs in first class, when you fly overseas, they stretch out like a bed. And I'm sitting there the, and, 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 and the flight attendant, she's coming by and she's offering me all kinds of food and refreshments and drinks and different things like that. And would you, would you like me to cut your meat for you and all this stuff and television nice big headphones brought me I'm not kidding you brought us bedroom slippers to wear as we would walk around the plane and and by the way those who've flown you know this in first class you have your own special restroom all right you have your own restroom and in fact they even do this to keep the riffraff away from us they have this magical curtain they pull across the aisle and if you and if you dare leave coach or the other people's area, all right, to come into our area first class. There will be a flight attendant who all of a sudden will be very sweet to me if I'm in first class. But man, oh goodness, if you happen to encroach in first class from coach, she will turn around and man, I tell you what, it's, it's your worst nightmare. You do not dare use the first class restroom. There's just something wrong about that, all right? The two groups should not even mix, all right? You shouldn't even see each other. But boy, coming back, coming back, you didn't work it out. And I want you to know it was a letdown. I was a letdown. I'm sitting there and I'm flying in coach with the rest of all the ordinary people, all right? I'm sitting there. I mean, mean, you know, they they didn't offer me any bedroom slippers. The headphones weren't near as good. The television was smaller. My chair didn't lay back right. I mean, it was all this stuff. And you know what I just kept thinking about? I just kept wanting to try to look through the crack in that curtain so I could see what was happening in first class, you know? But there's this distinction. There's this distinction. You're this and you're that. Loved ones, that's not how it's supposed to be in the church. It's something we have to guard ourselves against. It's something we need to be aware of. Listen, there's never in the church of Jesus Christ meant to be the idea that it's us and them. It's just we, the church, amen? That's what it's meant to be. And sometimes what that means is it means that I have to lay down my preferences. Sometimes what that means is I need to, I have to kind of look past certain things. What it means is I need to approach life with grace and mercy and that loving attitude. So that's why I want you to write down some insights today. I want you to write down some things from this scripture that James teaches us on on treating people right. First of all, listen, we treat people right. Listen to me when we are captivated by the glory of Christ. James says, my brother, show no partiality as you hold faith, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And that word glory is a big word, ladies and gentlemen. It's the idea, listen, why would we play favorites? Why would we treat some people better than others? Why would we put ourselves in little camps and say, this is us and that's them over there when we have been captivated by the very glory of Jesus? Who cares how much money you make when you've been captivated by the very glory of Jesus? Who cares if you kind of like music like this or like that? I mean, listen, we've been captivated by the very glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. Listen, what we must do, we must gaze into the very face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we honor Christ because he is rich in glory. Put aside favoritism. Put aside preferences and prejudices because, listen, we remember what Jesus has done for us. The very glory of Christ is that Jesus Him. Jesus, the very Lord, of course, listen to this. He left heaven, richer than rich, to step into this world so you and I could taste the fruit of forgiveness, so you and I could experience the richness of redemption, so you and I could savor salvation, so you and I could enjoy the Lord. Oh, be captivated by the glory of Jesus. He says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, when you and I put our faith in Jesus, it ought to change us. He's the very Lord of glory. He steps out of his glory. He laid down his glory We just talked about this back at Christmas time. He lays down his glory so you and I can know him. I think about Philippians chapter two. How Philippians chapter two reminds us how we're to have this mind of, of unity and peace with one another and and not having prejudice towards one another and favoritism. He says, have this mind among you. Paul said in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, listen, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Listen, every church can have cliques. We begin to look down on others for all kinds of reasons. But this dishonors the very glory of Christ. Listen, you... You and I, we can never, we ought never to get over Jesus. We ought never to get over his glory and what he's done for us. You know, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't pay attention to outward appearances and those kind of differences. I think about when the poor widow brought uh, her might to him. She was more respected by Jesus than the rich Pharisees. Simon and Simon he just didn't see a fisherman he just didn't see a roughneck he saw he saw a rock who would would become Peter now now did did Peter have some rough edges did he need some grooming did he need some learning did he need some equipping did he have some maternity do yes but oh Jesus saw the potential in him Matthew the tax collector and a cheat but in Matthew Jesus saw a disciple People were amazed to see Jesus talking to the woman at the well. Remember that? Bottom line is this. Look at everyone through the eyes of Christ. If someone's a Christian, respect and don't reject because Christ lives in him. If someone's not a Christian, reach out and receive him because Christ died for him. You know? Bottom line message here is we are to be captivated by the very glory of Christ. Very glory of Christ. Number two, get this one here. We treat people right when we're gripped by the grace of Christ. When we're gripped by the grace of Christ. Now he goes on in verse two and he gives us illustration. He talks about how a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in. And if you pay attention to one who wears a fine clothes and say, hey, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, he says in verse five. My beloved brothers. It's like he keeps repeating brothers just to try to keep reminding them. We're family, we're family. He says, has not God chosen Those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. He says, has not God chosen? Bottom line is this. See, there was people back then, they thought this. They thought that if you were wealthy, that God's favor was more upon you than on poor people. Now, it's hard for us not to think that sometimes too, right? But Jesus says that is absolutely not true. And even to make the point that it's not about your appearance or it's about your you know your, uh, what you have, your possessions or anything, Jesus goes to the people who seem to be the most hungry for him. And you know when we're the least hungry for Jesus, I was reading this about this morning, kind of in my quiet time, had nothing to do with this passage of scripture, but it comes to mind. When we're the least hungry for Jesus is when everything's going okay, isn't it? But all of a sudden you get that phone call all of a sudden, you get that news and we wanna pray a little bit more. And you know what? That's just kind of the way life is. That's just kind of how we're wired. And I think Jesus knew that. And so Jesus, when he went, he man, He ministered to the poor. Now, he was always ready to receive the rich. But Jesus, in his teaching, even made the point. He said, it's gonna be challenging for you because of your affluence. You know what? What a church has to be aware of is when a church thinks she can begin to do church on her own. When we just kind of get to be about big enough that we can pay our bills, we got a nice place to have church. We've got a, we've got a nice appearance in the community. Listen, listen, that, that is mistaken thinking. We ought never ever to get over the grace of Christ because listen, there's not a one of us that deserves Jesus. There's not a one of us that deserves a breath of air. It is all because of the grace of Christ. And throughout scripture, back in the Old Testament, I got all kinds of scriptures. I don't don't have time to read all of them that I wrote down here. We're reminded of how God, God sees the need of the poor. But understand this, when God looks at us as the human race, he sees all of us as poor people. Because remember what Jesus said? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what, listen, listen. God, 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 when it comes down to our material wealth, you know, he's interested in all that we have being his and following under his lordship. But, but, but understand this, what God is really most interested in is us understanding our deep abiding spiritual need. And the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know when you're blessed? You are blessed when you come to understand how poor you are without Jesus. And all of us need Jesus. Bill Gates needs Jesus. Bill Hobo needs Jesus. We all need the grace of Christ. And when we come to experience the grace of Christ, all of a sudden, we come to understand that God ignores national differences. God ignores social differences. God ignores financial differences. It is God's grace. Has not God chosen? You see, folks, understand this. Don't don't ever fall for the subtle lie that that oh, it's God's grace. It's that wonderful grace that we sang about, Judy. But down deep, there's part of us thinking, "But I am a little bit better than so and so." Loved ones, I don't know how else to say it, and I can't say it, but but so politely, it occurs to me that that's a lie of the devil. Because isn't that exactly kind of part of the lie the devil tried to tell Adam and Eve in the garden? You don't need God. You can be your own God. You don't need his grace. You don't need him to take care of you. You can feed yourselves. Loved ones, captivated. Captivated by the glory of Christ. Gripped by the grace of Christ. Thirdly, we treat people right when we're devoted to the law of Christ. Look at verse eight. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. Now, now, why do I say devoted to the law of Christ? Some people say, well, well we're, we're, as, we're followers of Christ. We're New Testament believers. The law was Old Testament. No, Jesus said what? What did Jesus say, all right? Jesus said, I came to what? Fulfill the law. You see, Jesus comes to make it possible for you and I to live out the law. In fact, if anything, Jesus upped the ante when it came to the law. These folks were taught back in the Old Testament that they ought to love the Lord their God, that they ought to love their neighbor. And Jesus certainly reinforces that in Matthew 22. But Jesus later on would tell his disciples before he goes to the cross, you love one another. You love one another. We're taught in the New Testament that we're to love others because he first loved us. There should be no doubt of why we want to be devoted to this law of Christ, there ought to be no doubt, why well, we ought to be devoted to loving one another. It's because we have seen very clearly because we're captivated by his glory and we've been gripped by his grace, so therefore we're devoted to his law. You see, James James is laying this out. Why, why are you supposed to be this way? Why are you supposed to treat each other right? It's because, first of all, man, you're captivated by his glory. You've been gripped by his grace, and now this is why you were devoted to the law This is why you're going to love one another. Our words, our actions, our attitudes, they matter. Folks, understand this. Down deep, we only really believe as much of the Bible as we practice. That's the truth. Now, we can see the law of Christ as a drag. I can see the speed limit as a drag in my life. I can just see it as a nuisance, as something that's just a bother, but the bottom line is this, is that speed limit ultimately is there because that law helps me to love my neighbor. If there was not that law there telling me how fast I reasonably can drive, if there wasn't some law there at times telling me, you know what, it's time for you to stop and let them have a turn. You see, the whole reason we have to have these laws anyway as we drive around is because evidently we're forgetting some of the stuff we were taught in kindergarten. Let every now and then somebody else have a turn. In my neighborhood, there's a four-way stop. I hate four-way stops. Because I'm like, well, who should go, all right? I really despise the way they're doing these shopping centers now. Are we, am I supposed to go or are you supposed to go? You want to you go? I'll go. I mean, what am I supposed to do here? Just tell me. You know what? Jesus says, listen, let me tell you what you're to do. You're to do the loving thing. The thing that ought to obsess us, whether we're in a business meeting or in a worship service or a Sunday school class or at a church picnic or at Thanksgiving dinner is simply this question. Jesus, what is the most loving thing towards you and what is the most loving thing towards them? It's really quite that simple. And I I think we make it more complicated than we have to. I mean, that's the law, love one another. I I asked the former head of Virginia State Police, I was his pastor for about 10 years, I asked, I asked Brother Wayne one day. I said, Wayne, look. I said, just come here for a second. I said, I want to ask you a question. Just you and me talking here, all right? He said, okay, Pastor. I said, listen, when I'm driving around Virginia, how fast can I really go? <laughs> how fast can I really go? You know what he said? He said, Pastor, said, I'm going to tell you exactly how fast you can go. He said, when you're driving down the road, you're going to notice that there's these rectangular white signs with black numbers. He says, Pastor, that's exactly how fast you can go. I was like, well, you're a big help. <laughs> he made his point, though. Pastor, it's there for a reason. It's been determined by the authority that that's how you love one another, that's, that that's the safe way to live. Now, loved ones, I don't always, I'm ashamed to tell you, I'm just plumb embarrassed to tell you, I don't always base speed. And y'all have to pray for me about that. Every now and then, I edge it just a little bit because I've kind of figured out that they'll give me about five miles, all right? Now, I'm here to testify. They will not give you 15, all right? (laughs) They will not give you 15, all right? (laughs) Because like we are sometimes with God's word, every now and then, we won't test it out, don't we? And I'm here to tell you, the best thing for us is to love one another, to love one another. Finally, I want you to see we treat people right when we're focused on the mercy of Christ. He says, for judgment, the last verse I read, verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who's shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know what, loved ones, we've received mercy, so we ought to extend mercy. We have been shown mercy by the judge. And so we ought to show mercy towards others. When you're forgiven of your sins, you're compelled to forgive others. You know, James is checking us out here. He's checking us out. You know, a few things came to mind this weekend as I was thinking about us. What's some things to apply? And they're not on the PowerPoint. You'll just have to remember these or jot them down. We We ought to welcome people. We ought to welcome people. Something I've challenged the staff here is, hey, let's let, let's look at how we can even have maybe, could, could we have more greeters? I appreciate the people that greeted me, opened the door for me this morning, said, Oh, come on in out of the cold. Man, we ought to be doing that. We need to be welcoming people. We ought to be looking for the stranger among us. Welcome people. Number two, I just thought about appreciate people. When's the last time so often? We, don't, we won't do this. We'll just kind of take it for granted. We get busy. Even at church, when was the last time we just showed appreciation to some people? Thank you guys for receiving the offering. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for working at the Welcome Center. Thank you for watching my kids today so I can go to Bible study. Thank you for teaching them. Thank you all for singing, Judy. Thank you for that. We know y'all work hard on that. So often, we're prone to only call when there's a problem. But just like the little kindergartner, every now and then, it's nice when the principal doesn't just tell you what you've done wrong. Isn't it awful nice when the principal says, hey, let me tell you what you've done right. Appreciate and encourage and encourage. Read a news story this weekend that caught my attention, and I'll close with it. It's about a young man who made some ladies' days kind of occurred to me after this was already planned that yesterday was Valentine's Day and i would be preaching on how to treat people right the day after Valentine's Day. Well, it was Edmond, Oklahoma. Maybe you saw this on the news. Edmond, Oklahoma High School. All 1,076 female students received a card and candy before Valentine's Day anonymous well as anonymous as it can be in today's high school because it didn't take long before everybody had figured out and I got his name written down here that it was Dan Williams a student who had worked all summer and saved his money just so he could make sure every single girl at his high school felt special I have a high school daughter I want her to feel special A lot of y'all in here, you got, you have kids. You remember what it was like, don't you? It's a tough world to grow up in. Now, I'm thankful my kids are blessed with family and friends. They really are. But I think about the kids out there. They didn't have even a mom or daddy to buy them anything this week. I think about the people who might just stumble upon this property hoping that we might just be a little different than what they've run into. So church today, the challenge is this. Will we treat people right? You know, just like in kindergarten. Just like in kindergarten. If you don't have something to say that's nice, don't say anything at all. Just like kindergarten. You cross the street, hold hands and stick together. We're getting ready to go on a field trip. Everybody needs to have their buddy. Everybody stay in their group. May Mount Pleasant Baptist Church be more than a church that was named after a neighborhood built in the mid-1900s. May we truly, truly, by the power of Christ, be a mountain that's pleasant. Would you stand to your feet, bow your heads, Maybe you want to come and just kneel in prayer and pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for this church. This is a sermon that you will either live or deny. Father, move among us, I pray. God, I pray anyone here that needs to come to you, Jesus as Lord and Savior, will know that I'll count it an immense privilege. It'll make my day, Lord, to introduce them to you. So anyone here is not sure they're saved, not sure they have a relationship with you or wants to know how they can know you, God, I pray they'll come forward and just, just say, I, Brian, help me. <laughs> I, I need God. And Lord, I'll, I'll do my best with your guidance to, to lead them to you. Lord, I pray for others in this church family that you might just grip us, Lord, that you might change us, help us to treat people right.